0: hey everybody welcome to this really special episode where all words i say lose their meaning completely along with the meaning of life (laughs) it's called semantic satiation enjoy this new episode of you're going to die the podcast Welcome to "You're Going to Die" the podcast, everybody. This is Ned Buskirk. I'm starting to say "You're Going to Die" the podcast so much that it loses uh, its meaning. Do you do you know what that word is? I never remember. It's where you say a word over and over and over again, and suddenly it's just nonsense. Which, by the way, all words are made up things. They mean nothing except for the meaning we give to them. So. Uh, at least we're in agreement about that. And hopefully the words I'm using, you understand, because suddenly all my words um, mean nothing. Just another example of how ridiculous life is, being alive. We're mortal, we're going to die, but let's just take a second to be like, life is ridiculous. I'm recording (laughs) my voice into a thing, sitting at a desk, it's going to get uploaded. You're going to listen to it. Like, I know what I'm saying. You're like, yeah, that makes sense, but it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It's all just made up. <laughs> and the words I'm saying are made up. Okay. I can't focus on that anymore. Cause I'm not going to be able to finish this introduction. It's just going to end up as a bunch of mush. And I'm relieved to acknowledge for a moment how ridiculous it is to be alive. The nonsense of it all. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for letting me have that moment. Now, this episode I wanna say one thing about this conversation that matters a lot to me, and that's that I got a chance to be with someone who lost their mother and we connected, I think through both our mother's lives and some ways that they were alive and how they died and how we were with them when they died. And that is so huge for me. In fact, it's really a part of why you're gonna die as in the world. It was because I wanted to make room not just to talk about my mother, And her life and death. But I think, I don't know if I knew this back then, but I think it's because intuitively I knew I'd find people who could say, yeah, yeah, me too. But I want to have a little disclaimer after that. And that is this, me having a mother who has died does not give me everybody else and their mother's death. I cannot go around in the world telling people like, oh, I get you. I know your mom died, and here's exactly what it felt like, and here's all the reasons why it felt that way, and here's exactly how it went. That's just not possible, and I would say one reason why amongst a lot of reasons is because – just just maybe most importantly, our relationships to our moms are, are different. And so the way they live and die is gonna be different. And the reason why I'm even talking about this is because I wanna say, it was so good to have that connection with Mengda. And I can't express enough how important it is to say, this is what happens in these moments. It's that I go to someone else and I say, your mother died, oh, I see you. And I don't understand fully And there's no way I ever could, that's yours. But from my loss, my story meets yours. And us sharing that brings us together and we find connectedness and we find belonging. And often that's like all I care about, probably from something out of my childhood, mainly abandonment (laughs) issues, but creating that for others, like a place to come and belong and feel connected. And not necessarily making any of this hard stuff better, but at least getting that. And so I'm so glad I got to have my version of that with Mengda. Like so many things we do. I I get a little bit of that medicine too. And this episode gave me that. So that's that. I want to just get into it. Mengda Senwenpeng is an artist and the founder of Bossy. A digital space that focuses on loss and grief while providing services and offerings that renew our engagement to life. Her life and death work is guided by her Laotian last name, which means the light of the full moon. Mengda's work has been featured in Vogue, New York Mags Curbed, Chakruna Institute, and more. I hope you enjoy this episode of You're Going to Die the Podcast, blah <laughs> blah 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 with Mengda Senwenpeng.
1: Oh my goodness. You know, Ned, I'm just so grateful to be talking to you because there's a lot of similarities um, in terms of I think our interests in this work, our mothers, and just how we're so fueled through these unfortunate situations that we've been in. And that is really real. And I think it's also very refreshing to hear someone being vulnerable and talking about the hard stuff that's not so beautiful and pretty and nice. Um, you know, I also had a very challenging relationship with my mother and, uh, she was diagnosed with cancer. And by the time she was diagnosed, the cancer was spread everywhere. She was 48 years old and, you know, I ended up being with her through her final days. She didn't want to do chemo and she was very clear to me about what she wanted, which is she was ready. You know, she didn't want any treatment. She didn't want to do a doctor's appointment. She was just ready. And that was something that was really hard for my father to accept where he just very much was like, why aren't you trying everything in your power to continue going? You know?
0: Yeah. And sorry, what made yeah. up for you? What, what about you? You know, what was that like for you knowing that she didn't want to do that treatment and also connected to yeah. that? Was she kind of feeling symptoms and illness for a long time and just wouldn't get it checked out or what was yeah. that part of, of the story?
1: Absolutely. I think first and foremost, my mother was always, let's say, a huge smoker and you know didn't have the healthiest diet and there's already a lot in my story and my relationship to my mother of always wanting to care for her and try and help her be healthier and this is like at such a young age you know as a kid being like you know why don't you eat a vegetable why don't you drink more water like just this um just response to what I was witnessing so that in itself is already what I was experiencing and then throughout the year she constantly started having like bronchitis like chronic Mm -hmm. chronic issues it just started happening and happening and then right before she was diagnosed is when um, it got more um, constant and it just got to the point where I kept asking you know please like get a checkup. Like let's figure this out. It's not, it's not normal for you to like crack a hip or you know a, a rib um, when you're coughing and all of these things. And then it just progressed where she ended up having a lump in her throat, and that's really when we, um, yeah, that's that's when we knew. That's when she was diagnosed with that and my father and my mother are just such opposing personalities. And mm-hmm. um, for him, it, I already mentioned that, but for me, I think that was the beginning. It's like a childhood of wanting to care and to care and keep mommy alive, keep mommy healthy, keep mommy happy. You know, like yeah. those were very much the responses to how she was living. And it all makes sense. I think for me, the most unfortunate part is I know the very little bit that I know about my mother even was, it was a very hard life, you know, Mm -hmm. very hard life. And the fact that she even was able to get out of her living situation at such a young age, the fact that she was able to maintain a job and, you know, keep her children under a house were huge feats for her upbringing. Mm -hmm. Quite frankly, Mm -hmm. you know, she never went to high school. Um, you know, there's just a lot of very challenging um, burdens, quite frankly, with her. So for me, I just think there's always a sense of kind of like guilt about that yeah. because, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I've always felt guilty and I still, in some ways, even in her death, feel guilty because even though I've had a lot of challenges in my life, I just, I feel like it's just so incomparable to what my mother had to deal with, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And that also created excuses for her behaviors or excuses for a lot of our dynamics, which is complicated, right? In death, I'm sure just as you, like I'm still navigating a complicated relationship with my mother. So when she was diagnosed, um, it was so shocking. And my response, because again, like, very much a caregiver and like because my parents were young I kind of had this role of like needing to, to take care of my family like my father's English wasn't the best and my mother you know what I mean like yeah. so when things really happened, I kind of felt like the person to like try and take care of things so when she was diagnosed I was just very practical of like what are the next steps? What do we need to do? And quite frankly, I was so in shock
0: <laughs> like, mm-hmm.
1: that the emotion I could not even connect with at that time, yeah. you know, it just was. and well, so I, when,
0: I mean, I ahead. imagine also you just wouldn't, you couldn't do that work. You couldn't, yeah. you couldn't use you like you're in shock and you're, you're needing to not feel the, <laughs> feel that level of emotional, you know, Response to what was happening because it you needed to like stay clear, you know, be in the logistics, or is that does that fair to put it that way?
1: For sure, it's like part logistics and then like self preservation. You know, like it's Mm -hmm. just so it was too much and like when she's telling me like this is her choice, like when basically your parent is saying, I no longer want to live and I don't want to try Like that's a lot for any child or yeah. person yeah. to have to accept. And I think because that shock was also in place, I, I wanted to really hear her. And I think this is where myself just as who I am really was shown mm-hmm. because I was so fixated and focused on how she wanted to die how she wanted to live in these last moments of her life Mm -hmm. that it didn't make it about me. You know, like, I couldn't even say what I'm saying to you right now right? of like, you know, comprehending what's actually happening like fully and, you know, witnessing my father's response. I was like, okay, like he's not accepting it. He's not listening, but I, you know, there's, it's complicated. Right. But with my mother, I very much was like, Okay, like this is what you want. This is yeah. your life. This is your death. And I, I'm still very surprised that I was even able to be that person for her because she didn't have anyone else that could hold that.
0: Well, I mean, in a way that I, I relate, I think, to some of what you've shared and and so much I do think of our stories really connect. Um, but it's that feeling that maybe you relate to, but at a young age, just being like we are when we're little the little centers of the universe that we are when we're around other people's like adults, let's say like deep, emotional, whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, existence, we somehow make it our fault, you know? And so then eventually that translates to our, to our responsibility. And when you say like the care you needed to, to give to your mom, you know, I had the exact same feeling, you know, and, and, Mm -hmm. and, and similarly, my dad wasn't around they'd separated by then but but his uh, being in the world left the responsibility on my shoulders so that when my mom got sick i moved home you know i was the one to move home and be with mm. her and so i'm just wondering if you think that partly that's how you end up in that role because when you're little it starts there you start yeah. to be like is this me do I need to fix this? You know, or did I, is this my fault? Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Like psychologically it all makes Mm -hmm. sense. (laughs) Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Like we were born for this. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah.
0: It starts early.
1: Mm Yeah. That's so true. And like, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know what direction we want to go with this. Um,
0: Well, I'm wondering some things, but also Mm -hmm. like I don't have any idea what directions we want to go. I'm just down to see where (laughs) we end up. Okay. But there's a part of me that's wondering, you know, did you, do you, and did you really, you accepted that she wanted to just go that way, but did you respect it and, and understand it or ever and, or, um, What does it reflect about how she related to being alive that, you know,
1: Mm -hmm. and that's the tragedy, right? Like no child wants to have to experience that because, you know, with some time for me. I've internalized out of you know I'm right. not lovable enough you don't love me enough to want to keep living mm. or oh no I didn't make you happy enough mm-hmm. I didn't, you know all yeah. of those things of like oh no I didn't do a good job I wasn't right. a good enough daughter mm-hmm. and it's just so it's so tragic you know it's so mm-hmm. tragic and like with the support and, you know, therapy that i Tom done, like I can understand and rationalize that, but there's always a, like an etching in the heart, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I do understand. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, you know, even with all the complications and even with all of these dynamics and, and pieces and witnessing and, you know, knowing you can't change someone, you can't completely fix them. It's like at her death, it really is incredible to see like that was the first time in my life that I felt unconditional love, Mm -hmm. you know, all Mm -hmm. of these issues and all of my anger and resentments and confusions. And, you know, the list goes on. It's like all of that went out the window when Mm -hmm. I am literally so intimate with death, you know, and dying. And I thought that was, I don't know. It's like just, I had never like touched unconditional love in that way, you know, or felt How old it. Were you? Oh my gosh. How old was I? Was I 30? That's a good question.
0: I don't <laughs> it's know. Hard. Like, Time's I hard. Like
1: what Time, yeah, <laughs> time is hard. <laughs> yeah, grief maybe. and death too
0: are just like time. What are you even talking about?
1: Uh-huh. That's like, I needed. A- a calculator
0: maybe it was 29 or 30 like I guess I haven't even thought about but it's wild to just know like younger versions of ourselves you Uh know like however long ago for me it was 20 years ago and thinking about the ways I was inclined because I'm hearing in 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 you part of your doing the death and dying work you do now is because of your understanding of the possibility of that version of you you know and while you have the the right and and maybe even need to acknowledge like y- y- you seem to have the parts of you that are still the child and hurt and and guilty or whatever um, in those heartbroken ways. You're also someone who got out of that an understanding for what's possible.
1: It's so true. And like one thing I do want to note that I think is interesting is just us talking about these complexities and the difficulties. I've always felt like that's a complicated uh, response after someone dies is it's very common of, oh, don't speak, you know, anything negative about someone, especially mm-hmm. your parents or your family. Like, don't do that. You know, like there's so much of that that's very common after someone dies is like not to quite frankly, be very honest about those complexities and mm-hmm. like, it's not a Brady Bunch moment, you know,
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I remember someone know? coming to one of the open mics a few years ago and they had the funeral, you know, the memorial was coming up that weekend and she just said, I'll have, I have something to share there, but I need to share something else here and what struck me about that connects to what you're sharing, which is like it, it, it really culturally, but for sure in the like wake of death and the kind of rituals we're sort of left with, I think in this culture mm-hmm. in the last, I'd say 100, you know, 200 years to have like a memorial and funeral where you don't say bad, you know, you, you don't mm-hmm. blasphemy, you don't share the like parts that are very real, but you got to put them on a pedestal. It's time to make him an angel, you know.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, of course I love my mother just with like every part of my being and all of my work, like this was like an, I use the word initiation because I never <laughs> was like, I want to grow yeah. up and be yeah. in the depths of like, you know, totally. just like the <laughs> if, shittiest parts of life, you know, quite frankly. Me, right? like,
0: Listen, in a few, yeah, in 20 years, you're going to be just snotty and sobbing all uh-huh. week long. Cause yes. you're going to hold space for the most broken parts of mortality.
1: totally totally it's like that's a very specific kind of person and like also it's a specific kind of person that does you know I I mean I don't want to like make it a certain way but like uh, taking these tragedies and like doing something with it or being Mm -hmm. of service not everyone has that that desire yeah. and I think that's totally fine you know totally. like everyone yeah, do you but for us here like <laughs> I think <laughs> I'm so fueled to this day years like four or five years later I don't even know how many years like it has continued to be the fire burning forward because mm. of how intimate and complicated the complexity are but on the other side of that like when you're talking earlier about all the shows that you're doing and like all the community events, like I'm constantly like dropping to my knees when I'm doing my like death meditation groups or, you know, I'm holding people in their grief because it is like these parts of life that are just these deep, 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 rich human Mm -hmm. parts that just, I mean, really feel what being alive means to me, you know, is to be able to touch these parts of life to feel, to witness, I mean, I have made it a life of choosing to feel, you know, and for so long, because I'm such a feeler, I think that's something that you've brought up before about having a lot of feelings, like going back growing up, I realized recently, like me just having feelings meant that's too much, you know? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like yeah. and like i've you know i've done a lot of things throughout my entire life to like you know small my feelings diminish them like mm-hmm. sedate them you know and finally it's like through this grief and death work like really meeting people in all of these expressions and fuels is just i don't know it really is it really feels like a gift And it really, really makes you feel so alive. That is for sure.
0: (laughs) You know, I get it.
1: Yeah. All that,
0: you know, Mm -hmm. because I I feel like similarly, especially being a a man, um, Mm -hmm. those early years of expressing a lot of emotion in reasonable response to so much of, of life to feel like I couldn't be that way. I think the, the result for me was that I just needed to get louder (laughs) about it, you know, like Mm. throw the tantrums, but, um, really feeling that as a part of how I I'm in the world now is knowing that doing this lets me be that, you know, like, I feel like that's kind of a version of what you're sharing and you're reminding me of, what is such an important part of this work personally for me. And it is returning to, I think it's kind of what I was getting after describing when you said you had this unconditional love when your mom was dying. There's something we know is true that we got there. And there's something I know is true that I got revealed to me during those you know, years, more months, and then weeks of her dying, like right in the midst of it, in the midst of the grief that, what gets revealed there, you know, it's, it's undeniable and clear and, and, and what matters is, is so present and I have to keep doing this to get back to that. Personally, I feel like that's part Mm. of, part of it. Does, do you relate to that? I mean, it feels like that's a version of what you were just saying.
1: Oh my gosh, so much so. And it's like, I'm taken back to where I was helping my mother um, when she was dying her last days. And The things in which that I did, right, like the actions and the care, like when you're seeing a body die, there's fluids, there's sounds, there's smell, like there's so much that is happening that is not pretty, you know, and the way in which that you respond to that, that's love. I've had, you know, I did not have medical experience. I did not have any experience being with a person you know, as they're dying before in my life. And intuitively, what I want to say is like, it's the love in me that really made these actions, you know, like whatever I was doing and like tending to her body after she died. Like, I couldn't have anyone like wash her body for the funeral. I just, I couldn't. I don't even know to this day. I can't even believe I did, quite frankly. That's like, I needed to be the person. I needed to brush her hair. I need to lay with her. I needed to do all of these things that I would have never thought I was capable of doing in my life. Because again, I was so fueled by love. Mm-hmm. It like it was like beyond any fear. And of course, everything was very shocking and, and everything. But like, I don't know. It's just... I think in those moments, like after it was like very shortly after that, I realized like, wow, like (laughs) there's like nothing that really stopped. I don't know, like any of the feelings, any of the experiences, memories, like all of that went away in those moments.
0: Hey, Nick. Yeah? (laughs) You're a writer. Are you telling me or are you asking me? You're a writer, Nick. (laughs) Yes, sir. I will be. So based on that skill (laughs) set, what I need you to do right now is explain using Uh words. Words. Explain to the listeners how they can support the podcast being in the world. It
2: was a dark and stormy night. Slowly, a hand crept out of a creepy place. Yes. The rain rained rainingly, wow, <laughs> onto the dark and stormy okay. ground. This is a first draft. The hand continued creeping. Meanwhile, the rain kept creepily falling. Okay, the rain Slowly. seems to be falling. Somehow the rain fell slower than normal, mm. emphasizing the drama of the moment. This is it. The hand reached up to the tombstone and Mm -hmm. flicked on a light that was somehow on the tombstone. Death relief. Illuminating the words. And it said, this podcast from such and such to now and it's dead because people didn't care about it enough (laughs) to support it. Wow. Dun, dun, dun. dun, Lightning cracks. (laughs) Mm. Cat. Uh... Screams. Nah.
0: (laughs) Screams. Nah. How do you even write that word? Cut to black. The end. Wow. Or is it? Listeners, we have never taken this angle before, and that's why I asked Nick. Fade back in. Oh, it's back. Alternate Alternate universe. (laughs)
2: Lovely spring day.
0: Nick and Ned
2: on their weekly walk skip through the the park. (laughs) We rarely walk happily talking about what to do next on the podcast fully funded
0: and supported by their community Uh, above ground. Wow. Wow. So listeners, I think you get the idea. (laughs) If you don't take this really wonderfully creatively spontaneous moment that Nick has offered up to us again, to acknowledge there might need to be some more drafts of this. This is the draft you get. If you don't support the podcast, we're getting six feet under people. If you do support the podcast, we're going to be six feet above ground because I'm six feet tallish. So, you know, all the things. I'm not going to go through all of them. Just take a moment. Nick will leave a little extra music to play for you while you go and rate and review the podcast in your podcast app or while you become a new patron through our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash YG2D. Go forth and support the podcast Livelihood in the World.
1: Experience with that was an awful experience, like just quite frankly. And then, like, every part of navigating these different end of life industries, like, bless them, you know, that's great. But for me personally, like, (laughs) small town, I was getting like, I constantly was trying to get converted to a religion by, you know, a chaplain. And like, during that time, yes, like, it's just every, you know what I mean? So, like, that's what's challenging about the story is like, unfortunately like the hospice nurses like the, the hospice folks like were unavailable and so like getting that support during these moments were really difficult and like being kind of trying to be converted when I repeatedly said I'm good like this is not the time <laughs> oh was like not great like uh, being upsold at a funeral because I had to like plan a funeral by myself mm-hmm. you know and not knowing that I needed to do or didn't have to do certain things in hindsight, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, like, you know, I've never talked about this part. And I think that it's because you work in prisons. I personally feel a deep connection to uh, that just prison industry complexes. Right. Mm -hmm. Because my mother also, um, when my mother was dying, unfortunately my sibling was incarcerated during that time and i've never shared this before and during that time i didn't know how much time was left and i remember frantically trying to contact the uh, the jail mm-hmm. to try and find someone that could be able to get my sibling on the phone to be able to say goodbye mm-hmm. And it was so awful trying to navigate that system to have a young person not being able to say bye to their mother Mm. is just tragic. Mm -hmm. And it never happened, you know? And I think that's also another complication of this because I'm so close to my sibling i've taken on even you know kind of a motherly role to this person that just i i feel so deeply for everyone that is incarcerated Mm -hmm. you know because of how they can't have even the chance to say goodbye in person you know or attend the funeral let alone being with someone at their deathbed is really truly like just, it's just really tragic, and yeah. so I appreciate the work that you do.
0: Oh, mean, I, the stories I hear about how, if ever, that community is allowed to be a part of those losses, you know, and deaths. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I I think it's not sort of a side note or anything. It, it for me, hearing you add that element of the story, it connects to the hospice stuff. It connects to the chaplain. You know, these systems often driven by you know most really sorry 100% driven by capitalism yeah um and then then you got a bunch of people that are just cogs in it uh not tending to the heart and not tending to the human and yeah. um so really feeling like this this experience with your sibling connects to all that other stuff too and boy how awful and horrible and i know for sure what you do in your in your work in the world now was born from that and I know that's what you're getting to but that's that other piece right is so something i keep kind of touching on and talked about at the beginning of our conversation with this pendulum swing right yep. it's like well what do we need to do
2: yeah you know exactly. to, to to correct
0: that or offer something
1: totally. because so like,
0: that stuff isn't doing it you know <laughs>
1: Yeah. And after that, I I blacked out in grief, basically, I think Mm -hmm. for a year or so, like I was doing what I needed to do to just cope and be okay. And then finally, um, one of my friends and quite honestly, I didn't even tell people my mom died because like the experience was just so awful. I think that I couldn't even put words to it, you know, like, who could I talk to pre pandemic about? Anything really like this at this capacity, like amongst my peers who haven't lost parents or really anyone that close. And um, so I felt very isolated. I was very alone. I was doing all the things to just cope and be okay. And then one of my friends, when I ended up telling her a little bit about just being with my mother at the bedside and she told me about doula's, and I was like, mm-hmm. what is this? I took time like trying to figure out what this is also. Cause I'm like, yeah, I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. but I ended up finding a program where finally I was like, you know what? At that time, my partner was just really encouraging of, I think, you know, I think you should just go for it. Like just do it and everything clicked for me in that moment because it really gave me more information to understand these end-of-life systems much better and then it also gave me an understanding of my own experience it gave me an understanding of how it really is like of all the changes I wanted to see you know in the world and um because my father's from Laos like him and I like we we talk about death we talk Mm -hmm. about spirit world like that's not foreign but realizing my grief experience was i really wanted to find a new way to approach these topics illuminate them you know um really quite frankly like to not have what i had happen you know Mm -hmm. if you could just talk about these you could potentially be more prepared you could potentially alleviate suffering um there's just so much that could come from it and then i i For my own healing, because before all this work, I was an artist, I was doing shows, I was doing mixed media art, Um, all of that just took a hard pause, because I became so fixated on needing to create, it felt very healing to create Bossy, which is um, my project now, and that in itself was an offering I think to my mother at the same Mm -hmm. time you know and it just all started like it's been a wild ride like I love hearing your journey because like mine's just been wild too I ended up just like on a casual Instagram you know post me like you know casually i'm just sharing this thing i did you know yeah. <laughs> because i didn't know like i had no like five year plan like i no. was just like damn i really need to like do this thing and if <laughs> hey, anyone hey, by the wants
0: way, thank <laughs> you for not having a five year plan because yeah. was like i did an interview recently they're like what's your five or 10 year plan i was no. like we're going to die okay yes. so i can't plan out that far so anyway i just want to say another totally. thing
1: i to- was <laughs> just like i experienced like something so awful and then i got uh-huh. information that helped Mm. me better understand this experience. Mm -hmm. And I want to literally like visualize like the change I want to see, be it, do it, like express it, share it in a way that felt authentic and true to me, which was a small way. And it started with like a meetup. But that being said, I ended up like casually like sharing this website and it ended up being like a few days right before the pandemic hit so I've just Mm. been going with this and the community and the experiences and all of that, that has come from this has been shit. I I have no words for it in terms of the timing and everything.
0: Yes. I want to acknowledge something. So I want to talk about bossy, but I want to, um, did I say that right? Yeah. Okay. I, um, but I want to touch on this death doula, um, choice. Mm Hmm. And I feel like it's important for listeners to understand, maybe from both of us, the point of these paths. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I want to try to articulate it with you a minute, and then you can be like, "Great, hundred percent, yes," or "No, you missed the point altogether." And tell me, okay. <laughs> tell me Let's why. But what I, what I feel about <laughs> your decision is some similar to what where I'm at. Right, I'm not a I'm not a hospice nurse. I you know I, I not a social worker. I didn't want to go become a chaplain. Mm-hmm. Um, and and listen even in the prison context, I know there are places and some parts of these systems out there that are working really well. And, and, and there's people in those places taking good care of the human. Um, but also a lot of these places, a lot of systems like don't do that. We've acknowledged that. And so uh, sometimes I feel like what I, what I've decided and, and maybe not even by ch- conscious choice, but, but for me, hearing you talk about that moment of, of exploring the death doula work is this way of saying, okay, how can I reclaim this thing that's been mostly pretty easily taken away from everybody? Like we've inherited these, here's how a funeral works. You know, like, here's what, like you said, here's what you do. You go here and you check all the boxes and pay all the money and someone's going to like deal with your dead. And, and, and now our lives are response to that somehow knowing like it's, this is our responsibility and that our, our, our work in the world is to be that and remind others like, no, 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 no. Like as hard as it is, what can you do to like reclaim this sacred part of our, our lives, right? Our deaths and our dead, our ancestry. And so I'm, I'm wanting to kind of connect there. Do you, do you. Does that was that fair?
1: Yeah, that's say? fair. And like to be real, like before all of these industries, we've been like caring for our dead. Like just historically, like we didn't even need a word for a death to live because most, you know, very commonly right. like right, right, death right. is happening in our There's home. There's a like, risk
0: with the death to, it's like, it's another system getting sold, but you're totally. right. It didn't even get it named. Right. It's
1: like, just like, to be really real, like historically we were living where death is in front of us. It's not mm-hmm. as scary as it is now, you know, like it not was. Not long ago.
0: Yes, you know?
1: exactly. Exactly. Like it wasn't this like huge thing. Like it's just accepted and prepared for and known and, Quite frankly, when we started Outsort, like, you know, when death and dying started happening in all of these other institutions, that lack of visibility and the increase in fear just go hand in hand. Right. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we need individuals with a word like death doula or end of life guides or, you know, the other handful of titles that all go under this umbrella of individuals that just want to provide you with more of that human care when you're dealing with one of probably the most tragic or challenging experiences of your life, you know? Yeah. And that's, what's unfortunate is that we even need to have <laughs> like, like, uh, well, like, even another title for someone that's like, hey, I just really <laughs> understand what you're going through. Yeah. And if I can help you in any way, I'm here for you. Yes. You know, which and is like, the heart of
0: it. That's, that's why yes. you made that decision. It wasn't to get the title, you know? Totally,
1: no, right. I'm quite frankly, I didn't call myself a doula I only right, really right. kind of use that word because now it's a little more digestible. Yeah. I
0: mean, it's people just get it, you know, but.
1: Totally. But like, mm-hmm. I didn't really like use that. Word, you know, entitled title, but it's you know, whatever we can go into the titles thing because, <laughs> like, we're both creatives. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like, yeah, yeah, the limitations of words sometimes of what you're just embodying and doing in the world. And yes, that's what Datsulas are here to do, and the way in which that I see it too is to really be that integrative force within all of these fragmented systems. Cause my approach is holistic, um, for me because I experience these end of life systems so fragmented and I'm like, what's, what's the next thing I need to do? Mm. Like just having all of this knowledge that someone can really like walk you through, like, Hey, like, here's the systems, like, here's a hand, here's like just someone to hear you because, That's, this is a result of hyper capitalism, quite frankly, Mm. like that. There's not this, there's not enough time spent. And I'm using that language because of capitalism. Like the fact that we're like using time and spending in the same sentence, you know, it's like, and then when we're talking about death and grief and loss, it's just very unfortunate.
0: If you want to connect more to Mangda, poor usurer, poor jujurer, <laughs> just go into the show notes, got all the links for you, all the ways to connect to Mangda's work and absolutely worthwhile. And I want to say this, just like I think Mangda and I realized when we were in conversation, there will be more to come with Mangda. So glad to have met her and now to be connected. Stay tuned. Nick Jana. hello.
2: Usury. It's forbidden by the Bible. They don't talk about that a lot these days.
0: Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> I don't, I literally, I, I honestly, I just, it's a risky thing with you. Cause like, I feel like you're smarter than me. I don't even know what you're talking about. I just want to say, what are you talking about? Usually,
2: is making money off of other people's money. Oh, okay. It's, 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 they talk about it in the Bible as like, I don't know if it's a sin, but it's like not a good thing, but uh-huh. uh, tell that to the uh, check
0: cashing store. Okay, or, I'm with or, you there. Or all of capitalism. That I understood. And why did you bring it up right then?
2: Oh, because you said uh, you,
0: you you said a word that sounded oh, like oh. usury. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. What did I? Oh yeah, because I was trying to say per usual, everybody. Per usual. Per In the show notes, you can get to all the things. Not per usury. Um, this is a free podcast. <laughs> Nick, Janet, how are you? I'm good.
2: You know, I've I've been to the dentist twice in the last week, and I'm going again tomorrow. Wow,
0: what's going on, buddy? Well, no, it's just it's good stuff. <laughs> oh, really? No, that is no way anyone has ever said that. They're like for multiple visits to the dentist. They want me That's to come cool. in
2: and give talks to the other patients.
0: <laughs> now we're talking. They're
2: like, we just want to show off your your amazing teeth.
0: No, we heard the show. Um, we're the podcast. Would you mind coming in? You know, it had been That's a
2: while cool. because of the the pandemic, and then I was scheduled to go in like for an appointment a couple of years ago. And as I was yeah. walking out to my car, my car was stolen and then I never ended up going I to remember. the dentist. Mm-hmm. And so it took a while. Um, things are fine, but you don't have to go back a bit, but still, even still they, um, they give, they love to lecture you. I get it. Like, cause it's a, cause have been a long time. They were lecturing you. Well, and just like the flossing thing, you know? Oh, do they, do you not floss enough? I have not been a, a great flosser and, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. But the dentist kind of angrily flossed my teeth for me. <laughs> and bled. No, and no. Bled. Well, no. It just like, it kind of struck me f- first of like how quickly you can do it. Perhaps when you're mm. angry. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. I what, feel like they do it a lot quicker, and more <laughs> intensely than we should maybe. It's, or it's like when. The, ever do to ourselves. When the yeah. parent
2: puts on the. Kids' shoes for them after they just refused to. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like wow, yeah. I didn't know if shoes slap, could slap, get on slap, that slap.
0: fast. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's good.
2: And but it inspired me to just be like, oh, I, it can be this fast. Okay, great. Mm. Um. Anyway, and then I went to. <laughs> Sorry, how old are you?
0: <laughs> Sorry.
2: <laughs> this is your first realization. Your
0: first dentist visit. How long they fly, <laughs> How long? Flossed. How
2: long? How long do you think
0: a flossing <laughs> takes? Well, I I have. Some specific ways to answer that question that matter. <laughs> okay. Um about being just, someone who's is, is just vigilant about flossing. I imagine you would be. Yeah. And still going to the dentist hmm. and having them strongly recommend that I get a water floss. Oh, I have one of those. I didn't I got I got one this year. Okay. And I, I use it regularly. And I will say I don't know how it's going because I haven't yeah. gone to the dentist since I started using yeah. it. Okay. Um, so we'll see. Okay. Um, but I would say that's a two minute, uh, yeah. two minutes, sure. two minutes on top of my two minutes of brushing. Okay, great. Anyway, I went to get a haircut this week. <laughs> you asked me, okay, go no, ahead no, that's your great. haircut. I'll um,
2: leave- <laughs> no, don't get ahead of me. Okay. Uh, but before I went, I was shaving and then I just, you know, sometimes like, you're just like, Oh, my neck is kind of, uh, you know, the back of my neck is a little hairy. Let me just shave back there mm-hmm. and just clean it up. And then, oh. and then I then get to the point where I was like, Oh, I should just get a haircut. Okay. I'm going to get a haircut. You know, mm-hmm. anyway, I go into the barber and I'm talking to her, like, I've been to the dentist a lot and you, you know, like how they, it's like one of the few services you go to where you get lectured, you know, like usually with a doctor they're not like lecturing you about much I don't think. Yes, right. Or well, or an optometrist like but an optometrist
0: more than ever, like more than usual I yeah. would say. Yeah.
2: Optometrists aren't lecturing you about how bad your eyes have gotten, you No. So I was talking to this to my barber about this and we're kind of laughing. It's like, "Oh yeah, that's true, you know. It's so pleasant to be here with just a barber. You just cut and there's no shame it, you know." And then yeah. she looks at the back of my neck, she's like, "Oh. Oh, you you shaved your neck <laughs> pretty high here." I was like, "Yeah." It's <laughs> like, "I mean, I'll work with it, but I.
0: Oh wow! It's
2: uh, it's gonna be. It's not gonna look great for a week.
0: <laughs> oh, you got double rec- reprimanded. I was like, man, uh, we
2: were at the just barber talking about how you don't. Dude, that you sounds don't like, shame me. you don't
0: clean your house before the cleaner comes. Like, why'd you even shave your neck? Are at you all?
2: lecturing me? <laughs> I am.
0: <lecturing. laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. I, to was this lecture mid, series.
2: <laughs> I was in mid shave when it occurred to me, I should just go get a haircut because they can clean it up.
0: I am so happy to laugh. I did not want to cry in this episode like I have been at every end of every episode we've done. So thank you so much, Nick.
2: It's more like t- when you're cleaning your house and you're halfway through and you're like, I should just call someone to do this oh
0: yeah that that's what makes sense um although and they come over i've gotten halfway through cleaning my house i i still think it'd be hilarious to be like oh geez i'm just gonna hire (laughs) i'm gonna hire someone i can't
2: finish not a perfect analogy but like (laughs) i get it it's it prompted me to get the thing happening and therefore i got lectured everywhere i go i get lectured it's just yeah how it is
0: okay well before we go um I just want to ask you why you have had to go to the dentist so many times, and it may not be as fun as the rest of the conversation we've had, but I think it's important that we get some closure on that. My
2: teeth are fine. there's no cavities. There's just some things below the gum line, and so they got to put several like spinach. They put oh jeez, Ned. They got to put some needles in there, which is rough. Oh. To numb it, and then they clean below the gum line, and and then wow. and then we're good. And then I'm always going to floss forever, and it's going to okay. be great. And yeah. I have something to tell my stepson Otis. Anytime he he's like takes an extra second to walk to the bathroom to brush his teeth, I'm just like, remember what I told you about the needles that I got? <laughs> he's like, ah, <laughs> yeah. So he does know. I told him because yeah. he hates needles just a- at all, you know, understandably. Right. And like needles in your mouth is just
0: like, oh god. Okay. Absolutely. I'll brush that's my teeth. extreme. I've never heard of that by the way, this what they're putting you through. Um what? so yeah, you That's how yeah, you, you must, get That's how you numb. Mm, the flossing though. Like something about the flossing <laughs> led to things being so deep in your gums that they're going to need to numb your gums and go in there to clean it out. So it is spinach. Rotten old spinach.
2: God damn it
0: rotting deep in your gums well listen everybody uh i'm so grateful for this ending of the episode in ways i've already expressed it's been a hard day uh so thank you nick for letting me have a good laugh i want more laughing more laughter to come mm-hmm. thanks for listening everybody thank you nick for being alive and for so far not flossing your teeth to give us this moment and it, know, must, hopefully be,
2: for it must be flossing must be nice to be perfect, perfect. <laughs> does it feel good to be perfect Yeah. Look at me smiling. (laughs)
0: Look at me. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, bye (laughs) bye.